0: Even Facebook engineers don't know how the algorithm really works because you cannot. This is the first time that we have decisions that are being taken for us without us being able to understand what's the reasoning. At some point, it's about accepting that you can be wrong about your source and therefore not being closed when you go and debate with someone. It's about really acknowledging the fact that we are studying things separately. We're very good at having specialists and experts in different fields but we are not so good at connecting the dots together. And we're not so good at understanding that everything is part of everything. If you want to decrease our impact on the planet, we need to decrease the economy. And therefore we should think about degrowth. Another way to say it is also to say politically, if we don't plan on degrowth, it will come anyway, and we will call it recession. So there are two questions related to the future of growth. One is... Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome
1: to Mission First, the podcast to learn from successful entrepreneurs changing the world for the better. In this podcast, you will learn from entrepreneurs who have already found product market fit and are scaling up fast. We discuss their challenges and the strategies they have applied to make things work. Think of it as a masterclass about business and product innovation, growth marketing, and leadership. I am Gilles Toussaint. I help mission-driven companies exceed their revenue objectives with growth marketing, product-led growth, and LinkedIn personal branding strategies. Today I'm really excited to welcome Julien Devorex, founder of Sismic, a podcast that has been listened more than 5 million times. Sismic's goal is to make you understand how this fast-changing world works. It's in French and in English, and he interviewed some of the most brilliant thinkers, entrepreneurs, and people doing good in this world, like Noam Chomsky, Captain Paul Watson from Sea Shepherd, or Ryan Gellert, the General Manager of Patagonia, just to name a few. Today, we are going to talk about his book, Le monde change et l'on n'y comprend rien, that you can translate as The World is Changing But Nobody Understands Anything. It's a book that I really enjoyed reading and it changed my view on how the world is working, where we are heading, and what my role or our role in these complex systems that are our society and our planet is. Julien, welcome to Mission First. Thank you very much for being with us today. How are you?
0: Thanks, and I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I think it's going to be funny for everyone to listen to French uh, accents speaking English together. <laughs> I'm not quite used to doing interviews in English. On this side, usually I just ask a few questions to, in English, so let's see how it goes when I need to speak myself for, uh, for, for an hour. But yeah, it's interesting because... So I'm good. I'm very good to answer your question. But also I was, uh, as you we were speaking, I was reflecting on the language issue. The fact is that when you do interviews in French, of course, your audience is much smaller. And and it's a pity and it's the same for all languages because we lose so much by just having access to English speakers. And, and because you have a lot of people who don't really give in interview, the interviews in English that have a lot of things to say and other point of view on things. So I, I always invite people that don't speak French or Italian or Spanish or any other language to also try to see what's going on in that field, in that world, and to activate the subtitles. And, but yeah, I know it's, I know it's difficult when you're not, when you are not used to it. That's also why I interview people in English to, to give access to the French speaking world well to those people, adding subtitles, et cetera, because it's true also from the contrary, a lot of people don't speak English.
1: That's a difficult part. I, I struggle with the same thing. And I think we, we have a lot of common things like living abroad and not being in your native language. Today, we'll talk a bit about this. So we'll talk about, I'd like to talk about your book course, and to talk a bit about for the entrepreneurs who are here, how to grow a podcast like yours. So mm-hmm. to start first, can you tell us a bit more about what's your mission? on this planet?
0: I don't have a mission on this planet, actually. Um, That's funny because I know having a mission has been popular lately. It's related to all the personal development things and the fact that you need to grow and become someone and you need to have a purpose, a mission. And I was a little bit into this before, and I was actually looking for my Ikigai, which is the center of the circle. What is good for the planet and what is good for you and what is profitable kind of things. And I'm not in that anymore. I, my mission is just to do what I can, be joyful and try to live a good life, whatever that means. And it's honestly, it keeps changing, but I don't have a big mission like saving the world or be useful to other people or fix an issue. What keeps me busy right now. So in a sense that my, that, that could answer your question. This is what I do on the day-to-day wake up and I say, okay, today my objective is to do this. So what has been keeping me busy for the last five years has been to understand what's going on with the world right now. The I, f- I realized a few years ago, uh, a bit late, of course, compared to other people, but I, I was having a career working for big corporations in, in the luxury industry between uh, basically Paris and Hong Kong and london and i realized that uh, yeah there was something big going on with the world right now that i didn't understand and it's related to big issues like climate change and the ecological crisis as a whole but it's also related to how the economy works it's related to how currencies work it's related to big societal issues it's related to energy it's related to many things so I had the feeling that I was not really understanding what was going on, and I was fr- frustrated by that. And also I was frustrated by the fact that when I started to look, I was only seeing um, little pieces of, of the answer. And uh, so I started to, to lead my own investigation about how the whole thing works, how civilization works, uh, and where are we going, and, and can we continue this way? and uh, where all the big issues in the world come from what are the roots and so so that's my mission is to investigate and share this but there is no objective i don't want to my approach basically to this is to be as neutral as possible even though it's not possible of course but to really be curious and open open minded and try to vary the angles and trust that the people who listen will do whatever they want with it because this is how it works anyway. When you share an information with with someone, you don't know how the person will react. You don't know how its own system will change because that's related to its own story, To that's related to his, it, his, his or her mood in the moment. So yeah, I'm just trying to share information and to promote nuance, to promote middle ground, to promote the fact that we can listen to someone whom you disagree with and to acknowledge complexity, to acknowledge the fact that no one really knows what's happening overall. We have clues and no one really knows what to do about this. Yeah. If I have a mission, it's about promoting dialogue and openness and uh, curiosity right now.
1: And you do that very well with your podcast podcast. Before we dive in the book, our experience, our career, sometimes our childhood, explain why we are who we are and mm-hmm. why we followed the path we are on. What should we know from your past to understand why you are here and where you are at right now?
0: It's always difficult to tell this type of story because it's always a story. When you listen to someone's life or when you read like the, the key facts. That's something that I always try to remember It's it's, it's always a huge simplification of the reality and okay, I will take, we tell one version of the story that I, that I tell often and that can somehow explain why, why I'm doing this. Basically it's pretty simple. I was, I did a business school and, and then I started to work in marketing and digital transformation, having a kind of chief digital officer jobs or marketing jobs so very classic, and I was looking at how technology is shaping the world and doing some kind of foresight, trying to understand, okay, what are the dynamics that are, that are changing and how do you explain this to your organization, your boss, etc.? <clears throat> and simply as I was doing this, I started to open new, new topics, new subjects, watching new type of videos, reading new type of content. And this is where I realized how ignorant I was and... Always and also ignorant is usually paired with kind of arrogance. It usually comes together. You, it's, I've got this quote. I know it in French, but in English, it's right from Socrates who, talk, who talks to Alcibiad, one of the the guys discussing with, and he say, "Not only you ignore the most important things, but ignoring it, you think you, you you know it all." And and that's not new. Like we tend to think that we understand the reality of things. Because we always simplify. We always need to simplify because this is how our our brain works. We've got heuristic, which is the way we filter everything uh, in the world. And, And then all the cognitive biases, which is how we interpret what we see. And we simplify everything. And we do this all the time and we cannot really avoid doing this. So the first step for me was to really realize the fact that I was only seeing just a tiny part of the world and also I was not understand, un, understanding what I was saying. And, and for some, some people it's okay, but I guess for me at some point it was very frustrating. I was like, okay, I'm really missing something and I don't like this. I don't like the fact that I'm making choices for myself that have an impact for on people around me and I'm making choices without understanding what I'm what is the game? What are the rules of the game? What is it that I, what is it that we are playing? What is it that I am playing? So it's very common when you reach your 30s or 40s to start questioning what you're doing. Okay. <clears throat> at first, when you are in your 20s, you just want to comply. You just want to be part of the game and you'd be part of the group and to, to make money. You invent a mission for yourself. But then at some point you say, okay, what is it? What is the purpose of all that? And uh, yeah, what am I doing? And do I want to be doing this for the next ten years, twenty years, etc.? So it was a mix of all these: acknowledging the fact that I was ignorant, acknowledging the fact that it was becoming a problem for all of us at the same time, being ignorant because we have been global issues that are very serious, and questioning my own game, my my own way of living. And this is where I. Basically, I resigned. I was working at Burberry at that time. I was the um, uh, media director for Asia in Hong Kong, and I resigned and I took a year off to 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 travel a bit, but really to study all the all these big topics about personal growth and the world. And that led me to launch a podcast because I wanted to share my questions and, and share a conversation with other people, and, and and became successful enough for me to try to make a living out of this and this is what i'm exploring right now it's not easy every day but at least all the conversations are becoming more mainstream about system thinking about like the limits to what we're trying to do the limits to growth about ecological issues technological issues yeah and and then i wrote this book trying to to share okay what i understand what we're doing but it's a whole process it takes time you don't really always decide what's happening to you some most of the time actually just follow the flow go with the flow go with the opportunities you don't it's very difficult to plan everything in advance you can just set a direction and for me this direction is about okay what do i want to live on the day to day?
1: so your book le monde change et on y comprend rien our world is changing and we don't Understand anything. Our complex is the current world, and why can't we understand it?
0: The world is a big word. I think it's important to realize that, as I was saying, that we don't see much of the world, we, and we have access to very little. We have access with our senses to what's around us, and that's pretty much our reality every day. We don't really care or pay attention to uh, anything that's happening beyond our senses. It's probably something happening maybe something that's very important for someone in the world just like a few meters away in the street and i have no idea of that and i will never have any idea and i have no idea what's going on in bangladesh right now or you know just again like in the neighborhood next door and sometimes we are interested by the world overall so we watch the news But it's more about, we don't do anything with it. Like we get a little bit of emotion. We remind ourselves that there is something bigger than us, but yeah. And so the whole, the the way the world works, we've been trying to make sense of it for forever. But first it was about, um, Experiment, experimenting things, okay, and Then we experiment as humans, and we see that okay, that works. I can make fire this way, or and you share experiences with the next generation, and you grow knowledge, your, your knowledge through language and through traditions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then humanity grows in, in in its ability to make sense of the complexity of the world. But the world has always been super, super complex, and we we, we needed to invent stories. To explain to simplify that complexity so that we can act on it or so that we can stop fearing everything because ignorance is makes you numb sometimes like you cannot do anything if you don't simplify the world if you don't say okay this is how things works there are things that are obvious like i know that if that drop this glass it will fall and it will probably break. And these are the simple things that you learn as a baby. You realize that when you start walking, you fall and that hurts and you need to experiment. You need work. A, you, you try to walk a certain way then some point in, and then it works. And so you learn that within that complexity, there are things that you can simplify and you can call them, for example, the laws of physics. And as humanity grows, we are becoming very good at, under, at understanding and explaining and playing with these laws of physics. So we know that there is a level of complexity, but we manage through mathematics, equations, language, to to live with that complexity and to make something out of it. And so that's the first point. Like it's always been complex. We always had some, some kind of understanding of the world and collectively we managed to better understand thanks to science, thanks to reason, thanks to collective doubt, to be better and better at, uh, using, going, li- living with that complexity and, and yeah, making sense of it. But we still don't understand many things and we keep discovering things every day. And, and we realize that some of the uh, things that we understood before are actually not that right. And we have a little understanding of the human being, of our body, of our brain, We have little understanding of the living, there are things that we are discovering. We don't even know what are all the creators that that are inhabiting the the earth. But the, the point is that as we grow as a civilization, as we build more information, more connections, basically, our society, our human system got much more complex the world is, is the same around us. It's actually sim- being simplified in a way because we are everywhere we go and we destroy living beings and we destroy ecosystems. It's getting simplified, but there is less complexity, but the human society is becoming much more complex because there are more nodes. There are more connections everywhere. There are more tons of information. And that's very difficult for us to, to make sense of it for, just take an example. It's not so long ago, humans used to have, used to make their own tools, or they knew how the tools were made. You, I grew up in the Indies, you see someone on the side of the road and opening its car uh, and trying to fix the, the engine. And most of the time with that person had a little bit of knowledge and it could work today. The cars have become so complex, it's impossible to do that. Forget about it. Even your, if you go to a garage, like they would try to fix this, they, they cannot do it by, the, by themselves. They need a software, they need a computer, etc. And it's the same for everything. This is our main tool, your smartphone. We have no idea how this works. We use it every day. We know how to navigate through it, but we have no clue how it works. And you take the engineers at Samsung or at Apple, no one has an idea of how the whole thing works. So you have that level of complexity within our societies, our laws, our tools, our technologies, that is becoming, we cannot grasp it. And you take AI, that's becoming more and more potent. Even, yes, in this, this is, uh, even Facebook engineers don't know how the algorithm really works. Because you cannot, this is the first time that we have decisions that are being taken for us without us being able to understand what's the reasoning okay, how do we get to that information? How do we get to that conclusion? We don't know, and the AI cannot really explain it to us. So we are getting into this new type of reality where it's really becoming way too complex for us to make sense of it all. And, And that's an issue because we are having all these very complex issues and we don't know where to start.
1: If this podcast helps you, please do me a huge favor and click on the follow button on your podcast platform. It helps to grow this podcast faster and to convince the most impactful entrepreneurs of the world to join me in these interviews so that you and other entrepreneurs can learn from them. We can only have a partial view of this world. And in your book, you mentioned some advice that we can follow in order to understand the world better. We talk about several cognitive biases as well we suffer from. So what are these advice, bias, we should be aware of when we try to analyze the world and analyze everything that's going around us?
0: Um, The first, I think, is to acknowledge that we are ignorant, largely. And so ignorance and doubt are at the roots of the philosophical tradition. And then it's at the root of, you know, science methodology. It's about, okay, start with, Telling yourself, like Socrates did, I know that I don't know. And the only thing I'm sure of is that I'm ignorant. Or Montaigne, which is, what do I know? Questioning, actually, what do you know? And, and this is the beginning of the process. You say, okay, I will start from scratch and I will question my own assumptions. I will question my own opinions on things. Okay, do I, why do I actually think this is true? Why do I trust that person or, or that source of information? And to deconstruct your own uh, view of the world and realize that the choices that you make are in part unconscious. <laughs> you don't, most of the decisions, you make them by habits or you make them because there's something in you that you don't really understand that push you this way. Beliefs. Uh, beliefs, that could be your education, that could be something that happened to you when you were a kid and uh, you have a trauma, or that could be something that you need to prove to your father or mother or, or like neighbors or to yourself. Many things like the, where does that drive come from? Why are you driven by that kind of topic, et cetera, et cetera. Why are you activated by this? So it's always interesting that go, to go back to your own system. How do you work and how do you build knowledge? How do you believe in things? And then the, again, like going back to philosophy, the way to rebuild knowledge is to do this by, there are many ways, but again, to say, I'm thinking about Montaigne, which is, it is about, how do you call, talk to other people, basically, take all those people point of view on things and, and realize that there are many ways of looking at one thing, one same thing and that not everyone has the same point of view, and that usually people have reason to have that point of view. And so you can build your own knowledge own point of view, because at some point you need to simplify things, you need to act, and therefore you need to make decisions, and therefore you need to say, okay, this is my belief, or this is my who I want to be, and, and therefore will behave that way, or will make this choice. But I know that this is not the reality, and I know that other people think differently, and they have their reasons to think differently. But and then you can identify what are the best, most trustful or more useful sources of information or, or most useful definition of reality. Like for me, I trust in science and I trust in the in reason and in the the process of science, even though I know sometimes it's not perfect. But I know that science helped us doing things that work. That there are people that really even if this is not the reality and define what's real. How do you define real? That's uh, more fierce in the matrix. And uh, basically, there are things that work better than others. And there is a kind of reality. If you see a crowd at a meeting, at a gathering, you can count the people and you can say, then you can argue, yeah, there was 100,000 people or 50,000 people, but someone is wrong there and you need to see who is the most trustful source of information. And that's actually very difficult to do nowadays. Because you have so many sources of information, and some people are very convincing, it's very difficult to see, or to, to make, to have a strong opinion on what's right or wrong, what's real or not. And we saw this during COVID. We have so many debates on, is it happening? What's happening? Is it serious? Is it not serious? Et cetera. And the fact is that it was very difficult to get the sense of it. So that's also acknowledging that at some point you need to build your opinions, but always, even when you do that, and you try to do this by using multiple sources, but even when you do that, always remember that you can be wrong and keep asking questions.
1: What's your process to check sources? Because this is something you have to do every day as a human being, but also as a journalist or a podcaster here, as an entrepreneur as well, how, how we could better
0: check sources. It's very difficult because it's sometimes you can trust a source and then realize six months later, one or one year later, oh, actually, actually that was wrong or that was false or it's weird. It's almost impossible to be hundred percent right. But it, it, I think there is a lot of common sense, even though that's very difficult to define or what's common sense. But when you see, for example, that someone is lying constantly. Or, and, and, and when you cross-check and you say, okay, why is this person being accused of lying constantly? Maybe there is a red flag and you try to check and say, okay, maybe there is, can I check that? Can I check some of the things that he said quite easily? Was it true? or Was it not true? Like someone like Trump at some point, at, at first you can say, because he always says, oh, it's all the people that are lying. So you can say, yeah, fine. But it's very easy, actually, in just a few clicks online to verify through multiple sources that it's a lie. It's not true. Like for when someone says, for example, I've never said that. And you find multiple videos of him or her saying that you can say, okay, he's lying. And when someone lies repeatedly, then you can, that person is not trustful. And you, and you stop like, following that person. It's again, it's becoming more and more difficult because we are, we're going to have deep fakes, And we don't have trolls and and people that are paid to produce fake information all the time. So we are entering a world where it's going to be very difficult to know what's true, what's not true. And I don't have any good answer to that. I think it's going to be about, okay, what are the decent people out there? What are the people that have an interest in in telling this? Or is there, it's about understanding the, the world dynamic and see, okay, is there money behind it? Is there a political agenda behind it? And anyway, as I said, at some point, it's about, accepting that you can be wrong about your source and therefore not being closed when you go and de- debate with someone. Like I have a lot of things that I believe are true. Again, we can talk about this. For example, you talk about climate change. I read the IPCC report and I trust the IPCC report. I have no way of really verifying if this is all correct. I have to trust. I have no other choice that to say, okay, these are a bunch of scientists. My common sense tells me that you cannot have uh, tens of thousands of scientists being manipulating or wanting to promote an agenda. But I know that it, this is this is common sense to me, and also it's it's a source of information that I can trust. But I know that another person have also reasons not to trust them entirely. And then therefore I can show empathy for that person and trying to understand, okay, where do you come from? What have? What is the information that you've read that make you think that these guys are wrong? And try to challenge that instead of saying, you are an idiot. And, and sometimes you can learn from them. You can say, okay, I hadn't seen it this way. I hadn't seen the relationships with the science world and political world. Okay, that makes me nuance some of the things, etc. But yeah, so that, to go back to my mission, this is what I'm trying to do is to say, okay, here is the point of view of one person that I respect, or here is the point of view of a person that I disagree with, but I want to understand why, how, why that person thinks this way and discuss and be open. And this is one of the main challenges of our times is that things are becoming binary. It's, I mean, If I'm not in favor, I'm against. If I'm not with you, I'm against you. And, and in a world where there is so much complexity, this is about, okay, building your opinions, but still be open and, and try to understand that it's not black and white. And some, even when someone does something that you don't like, maybe that person has reasons. And yeah, that, that's my way of seeing things. And I know it's against the way the algorithm works. It's against the way the media game works, but yeah.
1: There is a difference between knowing how it works and being able to play with it. Or we cannot do everything according to and adapt our behaviors the whole time based on how an algorithm works. These are two different things to me. To understand the world, in your book, you described it very well that we need to put on different glasses. And you actually talk about these glasses very often in your podcast episodes. If we try to put on our system thinking glasses, because the whole point of this complexity is we, we, if we want to understand it, we need to think in systems. You described mm. the Heisberg of system thinking in your book, learn about your know, black swans, elephants, jellyfish that I had never heard. I heard about black swans, but not the other ones. And trends, underlying structure, underlying behaviors. Can you explain a bit all this iceberg of system thinking is working.
0: So system thinking is about understanding the links and the connections with the different parts of things. This quote from Donella Meadows, who wrote the fame in famous limits to growth report in 72 with, with her husband and, and other people, Dennis Meadows, whom I interviewed in the podcast. And so great thinker of complexity and supposedly she says, you think you, under- you understand two because you understand one and one equal two, but you forget that you also need to understand and, which means the link between things. And this is what system thinking is about. It, it, it's about really acknowledging the fact that we are studying things separately. We're very good at having specialists and experts in different fields. But we are not so good at connecting the dots together. And we're not so good at understanding that everything is part of everything. And and a way of describing system thinking, there are many ways, and it's always a simplification. And that's the drama here, <laughs> is that we always need to simplify something that's not meant to be simplified. And, and, and that we cannot grasp we cannot grasp how the earth, the entire earth works. We just we just have a clue. We, we can try to guess, but we are pretty bad at it overall. We're much better than we used to be. But So the iceberg image is that you have something that's floating uh, above the water that's visible. And it's basically the events of the world. This is the way I describe it. Other people will describe it another way, of course, but <clears throat> this is the way, what I use in the book. And and we are spending all our time and our attention and energy observing that and discussing what's happening. This is what are the, the news are about. And this is where we spend most of our, we debate, okay, this is happening. Is it really happening? Is it happening this way? Do I agree with what's happening, etc.? Take any type of event. And, and we spend time with our emotions and we are angry about this or we're scared and et cetera. But what's really interesting is, is to understand what's below the surface. What are the root causes of that event? And an assumption is that nothing happens in this world by chance. There is always a causality like no event happens out of nowhere. It, it always comes from somewhere. It's, and usually when we investigate, we can find what are the causes. And again, like we can debate for hours and for days, for years about, okay, now this happened because that person took that decision or that happened, you take 9-11, which is like one big event that everyone leaves at the same time. And, and then you need years to realize, that, okay, this happened because they were bin Laden. And then it, it happened because the deep root is the war in the first war in Afghanistan against the Russian, because we helped the Taliban getting in place. And then we, we gave them weapons. But also that happened because of the, there are so many reasons. Or other people we have different theories about uh, where does it come from. But what's interesting is that overall, everything that's happening in the world comes from what I call trends. You can see that there are trends and uh, that are there, that are been there for a while, and that gives you an a direction to events. There is, again, like 9-11, there was a trend of rise of a certain view, certain theories within the Muslim world, the rise of a trend that made it possible for through technology and through communication to planned this type of event, a trend of resent or hatred against the United States and the, the Western world. So, so many types of trends that are in place. And, and below these trends, and we can go back to the trends that I observe later, but below these trends, you have something that makes the trends real, which are, which I call the structures of the world, things that are in place that work in a certain way and that make these trends emerge at some point. And below the structures, or you can argue it's also one of the structures, you have the, the system of belief. What humans believe is true, what do we believe in, and how do we how this is guiding our individual choices that make us create the structures of the world. And so that's very useful because that allows that allowed me in the book to go down and to an analyze, transcendentalize the structure with the idea that basically, if you don't want the events to happen again, you need to change the trends. And if you want to change the trends, you need to change the structure of the system. And if you don't change the way the system works, you're gonna have the same things happening over again. And even if you don't like it, even you say, wow, that, that's surprising. I didn't see that coming. So that's the black swan and black elephant. Like uh, to define these terms, uh, black swan is an event that really no one saw coming. That's unpredictable. It's so the 9-11 is a black swan because it was almost impossible to predict at this time, at this place, and it surprised everyone. And, but you have also, sometimes we confuse black swans with black elephants.
1: Hey, before you jump to the next part of this episode, one quick info. If you don't want to miss the best strategies for entrepreneurs like you, sign up for my newsletter with a link in the description. You will receive a summary of advice from each episode, get personal recommendations based on your startup stage and industry. And you will also receive my most useful growth and LinkedIn marketing strategies. Just follow the link in the description to sign up. Back to the next part of this interview.
0: Black elephant is something that has a high probability of happening, that is well-documented and that no one really cares about. So for example, you say, you could say when there was the, the COVID pandemic, we said, oh, it's a black swan, it's unpredictable. But people knew for a long time, you even have a Bill Gates TED talk from, I don't know, 2015 about the next pandemic that's coming. Okay. We know there is a high risk. We know we're not ready. We know it's going to be about respiratory disease or a type of COVID type of uh, a virus. And we're not ready. We don't plan for anything. Climate change is still, in my opinion, a big black elephant. Yeah. We know it's coming. <laughs> we know it's serious, but we don't really It's the elephant it. in the room. That's yeah, rude, rude, rude. but we don't really spend time to to agree on the diagnostic and what are the deep roots. We, we still watch it as it's a symptom, something much more profound, and we never talk about what's below the surface. And then you have the black jellyfish, which is something that's there, like a jellyfish in the sea. And it's it comes from a, an event that happened, I think, in Sweden, I don't remember the year, but you had uh, a lot of jellyfish next to a nuclear central power station, and and suddenly, some the the jellyfish went into the evacuation tubes. I don't know how you call this, and they had to shut down the nuclear plant super quickly because it was dangerous. So it's basically something that's there that you can observe, but you don't know how it's going to behave, and you don't know how it's going to evolve very quickly.
1: In one of the underlying structures, very important one, especially for all the entrepreneurs who are listening to this podcast, is basically our financial and system and, and the economy. And there is something that has changed a lot, is that has been influencing a lot where we are at right now, which is the, the debt system. Can you explain us a bit how this is working and what's your view on this in our current capitalistic
0: world? It's a big question, but. One of the, of course, one of the big structures of our civilization is the economical system. Economy it's the economy and, and finance, even if you can, the two are links, but you can actually talk about the two separately. You can also talk about debt and currencies. And, but <clears throat> this is one of the structures that makes it possible, the modernity as we know it. It's all about the economy. It's the economy, stupid, as Clinton said. This is where what drives our lives because we need to make money because we are in a system, in a world where without money, you can do anything. And and nation states need companies to work because they need them to pay taxes so that they can function. And so we are in this big globalized world with a big globalized economy. And the economical structure is defined by a number of rules. And one of the first rule of the economy is basically that it needs to grow. And it's like a big like, a monster, if you will, or an AI. You can say that it's an AI that is programmed to transform the world into money. So the economy is about, I want to use energy and I want to lose material and resources and human labor and human brains and everything so that I can do things services, products, and uh, transform them into money and into money for many people, just a few people, etc. And And depending on, on the rule of the game, like, uh, again, like capitalism has evolved and uh, it was limited at some point. And some point you had some things that you could do and, and other things that you cannot do. But today it has evolved in a way that makes it possible for very few people to capture, most of the money that's being produced out of this uh ai program if you will and and of course this reality has a lot of consequences of how on how things works because let's not go into inequality but the fact that you have ultra super rich people distort democracy distort the power game you have people taking decisions for nations you have people that are able to pay for elections you have people that are able, like Elon Musk, to develop its own company and send satellites in the space, and deciding of who has the possibility basically to disconnect Ukraine network just, but just by pushing a button, almost by himself. So it creates a lot of a lot of different things. and And you were talking about depth, but depth is a very difficult, interesting topic, and I'm not. And again, I'm not a specialist of it. And I, I did read David Graber' book on depth, like a big one. But you have some people that say debt is is nothing. It's just, it's just virtual. We can, we could tomorrow cancel debt and, or we could print as much money as we want. There is no link with reality. But I tend to think, and again, I haven't read everything about it, but I tend to observe that and to think that. There was something really important that happened in, in the early 70s. I think it was 1972, the end of, or 73, the end of Bretton Woods, when Richard Nixon went on TV and say, from now on, the U.S. dollar cannot be exchanged with gold. So the end of the gold standard. And that was the moment where, for the first time, or at least in a long, long time, currency and U.S. dollars, and, and therefore all the other currencies, were not linked to any physical good anymore. And so before to print money to have more dollars in the economy, you needed to stock gold. And then suddenly you say, I, I just need to print it. Or I just need to add zeros on the balance sheet of the Fed. And and so we entered a world where basically we can we could create as much debt as we want, especially the US. It was still linked to the physical world through oil, but that gives also like lot of power to the us and and basically you can explain the astonishing growth that we had in the last 40 years by this fact only by the fact that we could suddenly give ourselves all the money in the world and print more money and therefore, accelerate the way we exploit oil and accelerate our access to energy and accelerate our access to technology, etc. Because with more money, you can invest in more things and build more things and get more things and mine more things. But basically, you can see debt as, uh, and this is Nate Haggins who defines it this way, as a claim to future on future energy. I am... Um, spending now, the money that I don't have now, it's like I'm borrowing to future generations and I'm telling them, I will reimburse you later with more growth later, but I'm spending it now on expensive stuff that, and that means, for example, you take oil, shale gas and shale oil is not profitable. Even when you have, and you need to reach, I don't know, $150 a barrel for it to be profitable. And yet we go for it, we exploit it. And that made us possible to ignore the, uh, the peak oil that happened in the late 2000, 2008, 2009, because we say, ah, peak oil doesn't exist because conventional oil, yes, has picked, but we have more in the shell that we can use. And therefore we can still grow. And because there was a link between energy and the economy, we can go back to this. And, but without debt, without printing money, you don't go there because it's because it doesn't make any sense it's not profitable and so this is you can describe it as a mortgage on future generations you, you take all the resources and the energy that was that would have been left in the ground otherwise and you steal it from next generations to maximize the present and to keep growing now and and we are in that in if you don't have a if you have a money that is linked basically to physical goods, you cannot do this so quickly. And this is also why, but it's another conversation, why you have people that think that Bitcoin is so interesting because Bitcoin is de facto linked to phys- to physical things. It's linked to energy. There is a certain amount of, of energy that you can use and the price of Bitcoin is also related to that and it's constrained by that. So it's a way of getting back to money that is linked to physical world and you cannot do whatever you want with it
1: even though we are tricking it a bit by just investing into Bitcoin, changing its value.
0: Yeah, but for now, but long term, you can imagine that it will stabilize. And since it's linked to, it cannot be manipulated, you cannot print Bitcoin as you want. It's what you need to mine, like you need to mine gold if you want to have more money in the system. But yeah, but let's not go into this yeah. <laughs> <next> topic. <clears throat>
1: When we talk about environment and, and, and degrowth, I had Timothy Perrick as part of this podcast a few weeks ago. He has a huge fan of uh, this huge supporter of degrowth, and I am too. Yeah. From what I read in your book, all the planet boundaries are, are almost all of them are, are being overshot. Do you believe in green growth?
0: Define green growth.
1: Can we keep on growing the way we're growing now? You, you listen to Macron. And other people who just believe that we can't ask people to change their behavior so much, we can't ask people to consume less. We will solve that with technology, basically.
0: I think it's always framed in in the wrong way when you when we talk about the growth and the counter arguments. We observe empirically that there is a link between economical growth and energy. And the link between how much energy we consume is very much related to the GDP. And uh, you observe, you see the two charts, like the two lines are really following each other. And some people even argue that it's the energy before before the economy. So basically when the energy goes down, like how much oil basically you pump goes down, you can see that very little after that, the economy goes down too. And yeah, GDP, and you can observe that also when there is an economical crisis like COVID, that the energy consumption goes down. And again, when you see, when you observe that, okay, GDP in the end is about a measure of how much you transform the world, you understand that there is a link with energy because you need energy to transform the world and resources. So these two things, the three things are very much linked. And therefore you can, and then you have theories. You have people who say, you know, there is no link between the three. And and actually it's not taken into account in equations. Economical equ- equations don't really take into account energy and resources and anything. those all the services that are, that come from the living. Okay, bees are disappearing tomorrow fine. Like the economy says that we can replace them. And it's just a matter of money. It's just a matter of capital that need to invest to replace the bees. So we don't take in account also the the complexity of of the things that are happening. It's always assumptions on how things work. And that's, this is where you have economists that start to say, well, we are very much wrong about how things work. And the economical questions don't make sense because it's not just about capital allocation. Not, there are things that money cannot replace you cannot buy. And yeah. And you have people that say, okay, no, there is no link because this is the theory. And what we observe is not really real. For example, you can decouple economical growth and emissions. Okay. And this is what we observe in the UK, in the US and in, and, uh, and in Europe. But it's forgetting the fact that it, this is not what we observe at the global level. And what matters right now is the global level. There is no decoupling at the global level between our emissions and also our impact on the world overall and our level of pollution and the economical growth. It's still very much linked because again, the economies, you take resources and energy, you transform to do things, services and products, and then you have externalities, what we call externalities, which is the leftovers, the pollution. And the pollution is about what you put in the soil, what you put in the oceans and what you put in the air. So climate change is is a direct consequence of pollution. It's a direct consequence of transforming things and rejecting things out of it. So there is a lot of amazing things that happen in the process that some people call progress or just development, but they are also the wastes that we don't do anything. And and basically we pollute everything. So There are two questions related to the future of growth. One is, can we keep growing without growing our oil consumption on our fossil fuel consumption? And today, reminder, 80% of the global primary energy comes from fossil fuels. So we are a long way from being able to replace it by renewable energies. Especially at a global level. Now, maybe the rich country will manage to do this or smaller countries manage to do this, but, and especially oil, because oil is that kind of magical thing that's uh, liquid at air temperature, that's very easy to carry, et cetera. That, so, if you were to replace oil in the world, we have no solution to do that. Basically, that would be having like huge infrastructures everywhere, et cetera. So, I don't think see this happening. So, we have a question about, okay we are passing peak oil now or within a decade, et cetera. Can we maintain economical growth with with less energy? And I believe not, I believe there is a direct relationship. So the question is how fast can we replace this, and can we maintain the energy level And, and maybe in the future, but you can say there is this few decades where probably we will have to enter into recession or to decrease the size of the economy because we won't have the energy to fuel it. And then there's the questions related to what I call the, the field where we are playing this game, which is nature. And we know that we are destroying the field We know that we are getting into a level where there is climate change, but there is also what's happening in the ocean. We are emptying the ocean. We are destabilizing the oceans. There is, you take all the limits, like the planetary boundaries that we call, basically, we are going way too far in terms of uh, our impact on the planet. So that means that even if we had all the oil in the world and we keep growing the economy, we still have this other problem, which is that we know that we cannot pollute anymore and we cannot use all these resources anymore. And so therefore we have we have this issue because we need to decrease our impact. And basically from what I've seen, I, d- I didn't find anything convincing in terms of being able to decrease our impact or to get rid of the oil and to function in another way without decreasing the economy. Just to realize when there is this rule, if you want to calculate how many years something doubles you divide 70 by that number in terms of percentage so if you want if you say okay uh, in in how many years do we need to to double the size of something if we grow three percent a year you divide 70 by three okay so that's 20 23 years so if we grow something anything three percent a year it will double its size in 23 years. So if we are expected to grow, let's say we want to be optimistic about the world and we'll go back to a 3% per year growth at a world level. That means that in 25 years, in 23 years, we will use, we will have two, twice as much emiss- emissions. We'll have, we will use twice as much resources of anything it's, and our impact will be huge. And this is what's predicted, actually. The plastic will double. The plastic consumption will double within 20, 20 years. The, the number of planes in the sky will double within 20 years. And these are the predictions. And they are right because that means that we're planning to grow. And show me a plan to do things differently, to have economical growth, without using more resources, more energy and limiting the pollution. All the answers to that that I've I've come across are super vague. It's just unrealistic. It's always, yeah, but we will invent something new because humans are geniuses. And uh, every time we had a problem, we found a solution and uh, there is no limit to growth and we don't know what we don't know. Fine. But why not? I don't know. But it's such a dangerous bet. Yeah, are we willing I mean, to take that bet? It's, and empirically, it's just physically, it doesn't work. It's, there are things that need to grow to end on degrowth. So this is where the degrowth theory comes from. You say, it's very basic. If you want to decrease our impact on the planet, we need to decrease the economy. And therefore, we should think about degrowth another way to say it is also to say politically, if we don't plan on degrowth, it will come anyway, and we will call it recession, because we won't be able to grow in, in a world that is very much unstable with like climate catastrophes everywhere, or we nothing living in the ocean within 20 years, and we won't be able to grow when oil starts decreasing. And that's especially the case for Europe. Like the 16... Providers of oil for Europe, the main providers, will start decrease their production in this decade, and it's planned that by 2040 they will decrease the production by 40 percent, and they will probably keep it for them, right? So for Europe, with no oil, has it's coming now. There will be a decrease in oil, and therefore there will be a decrease in how much you can transport. There will be a decrease in like uh, you need oil for everything, for agriculture, for uh, medications, for everything. So the degrowth thinkers say, we need to anticipate that. We need to think about how do we build a society where we cannot have so many cars? How do we build societies where we need to make hard choices between hospitals and building a new road and, and growing a company that's not useful for, for, at all, that that doesn't answer the, the basic needs of people. And and I think this is a very interesting conversation. My point on Negroes is that I don't see right now, how this is possible politically to make it happen in the world as it is right now.
1: Why? Mm. If we think about it, I read uh, two days ago, I read that the first Americans, when they were taking decisions, they were always thinking about what is going to be the impact of this decision on the seventh generation after us.
0: I mean, Native Americans, yeah.
1: Yeah. So why can't we do that? That's, we know that there, there's yeah. a big power game there. What do you think is needed to have that changed?
0: It's, it's a change of civilization, basically. And this is what's interesting because the global issue that we have is related to the fact that we don't set limits for to ourselves. We have we are going beyond planetary limits, planetary boundaries, and we are doing this because we don't set limits for the size of the economy, or we don't set limit for the technology of the number of products that we produce. Of so we don't all the richest and
1: people and the limits all the richest is.
0: people and how much money you can gather for yourself and etc. Richard Heinberg, whom I interviewed too, said it's a problem of power. We are in that quest for power that comes from the beginning of, you know, civilization. And basically it's true for every living being, except that we hacked the game. We found a way to get rid of the limitation that we have in the natural world by building supply, extra supply, agriculture, and then we have the tools to uh, do more things, and then ultimately like uh, fossil fuels. So we we suddenly found more power and over the past 150 years we have this huge amount of power that we can put in the game that made us super powerful and we built all this modern structure of the world in that context in the context of having a virtually limitless energy and virtually limitless world that is not impacted by our activities and We built everything around this belief, the belief that there is no limit to the world. It's very American to say, okay, the next frontier and you can push and we are, we have this huge territory and all the mindset of the West and especially American culture has become so powerful. It invaded all the spirits in the world, even the Chinese. We want a bigger car. We want a bigger TV. We want a. More food, and then we become so fat that even we won't steal more food, and <laughs> it's okay, etc. And uh, but it's symptomatic to see how the body's evolved in time to the point where it becomes a problem for your disease because you are overpowered, you, you put too much power, too much food in yourself, and your society, and everything, and and you don't stop. You don't stop, you don't stop because first, because we have this mindset this culture of related to the fact that more is good and there's no limit and sky is the limit and nothing is impossible and and restraint is bad and and i was writing an article on on that precisely and and not wanting to do something is bad We, we never limit ourselves we don't know we don't know anymore how to limit ourselves and before humans has all these wise people, philosophers or uh, spiritual people that say, okay, it's good actually to limit yourself because this is how you grow as a human being and even as a society. So you had things in place to limit ourselves, Thing in place to limit the, you, you would burn the, when there was extra food or extra things, you, you would burn it. And this is what carnivals are for, to let the excess goes, but it lasts a week and then you go back to something with restraint. And, but now we are used to living in this world where, we forgot the idea of limit. It's constant we, carnival. It's constant <laughs> carnival. It's a, you see what happened. You do, you build stupid things. You're gonna have like in Saudi Arabia, they will organize winter games for Asia in a few years in Saudi Arabia. Isn't it a carnival? So we do insane things because we can, and even if it's wasting so much energy that we will need in the future or it's even destroying things around us. We don't care because, and basically it's so. One of the structures that I study is uh, the stories that we tell ourselves. But it's a structure. It's building our mindsets. It's building our culture. And we have these stories in us. It's good to grow. It's good to have more. It's good to be, greed is good. There is no limit to how much you can accumulate. And you, we make idols of super billionaires. And, and he would make biography about them. Why wow, is so cool to have? Why do you need more than a billion? Why do you even need a billion? But when you have a billion, what can you do with more billions? This is not your hubris. Like it's, and these guys in ancient times, they would have been. You were talking about the natives. They would have been ostracized. It would have been like, what, what? do you want? Are you stupid? Like do you want? What do you want that for? This, this is sick. In a way, this is sick. This uh, pathology to want so much and to want so much power. And we value this guy and we value entrepreneurs that want more money, uh, yeah, et cetera. But also, even if I believe that even if you stop and if you change the culture, it's not so simple because you have the structures that are in place. You have the infrastructures that you need to maintain. You have the debt that you need to reimburse. You have politics that need to be elected on the promise that we, things will get better and we will grow, et cetera. And a technology that lives its own life now I interviewed also Kevin Kelly on what technology wants. Technology just wants to develop and keep growing and keep complexify. So we are all this, uh, there is ancient wisdom. We say, okay, we need to think long-term. We need to think about next generations. But we are structurally unable to do that. We are structurally pushed in our minds, in our structure, in our day-to-day, in our jobs, to maximize Now. Whatever happens next, even the companies, it's about the three-year plan, except if they are family owned and you think about the next generation, but you are, when you are in the stock market, you, your shareholders won't profit now. But that's a systemic issue as well, right? Because if I want, I'd love to
1: stop working, working, consulting as I do, and just do my podcasts and Yep. Not having any revenue, not not revenue at the moment, but I
0: have a, I have a house to pay. <laughs> Precisely. And we are all stuck in that. We are stuck, in, in, an interesting way to put this, it's how our different realities conflict. There is the reality of the world outside, the fact that we're destroying our environment like super fast. And the fact that we depend on it and the fact that it's a problem, therefore it, it all collapses, right? For all the living beings and in the end for us, this is physical reality. Okay. And we forget about it because it's not in front of us. I don't really care if the corals in next to Florida all died, which just happened like the past months because water got so hot, it was boiling. So all the corals died in in just a few weeks. What has it changed in my own reality? This is happening. This is real, but it doesn't change something for me now. So do I need to take this into account now? My reality is I need to take care of my family. I need to keep my job. I need to make money to pay my mortgage. I need to play that game within the, my little system and within the human society. And I cannot escape that. It's very difficult to escape that. I can, potentially, I can say, I'm not part of this game. I will take the little money that I have and live differently, a little bit outside of the world. You you cannot, you still depend on the world in in many ways, but okay, I don't want to to play this growth game. And I will work on myself and become wiser and focus on the things that are essential to me and get out of the race. But I will lose friends in the process. I won't be able to go and have cool vacations. I will probably lose status. I will lose things. So it's about uh, sacrificing also. So it's really not that easy. But this is the the drama of our time. It's like we have the, the reality of the human society that demands us to keep going this way. And the reality of the world outside, they say, you need to stop. And for now, the answer that we have is that, no, we can keep growing and we can build new stuff and find new solutions within the economy. And somehow that will all work. Somehow we will find solutions, etc. But it's a story we tell ourselves. Basically, we, as long as we keep producing new things, even if it's, On things that need to grow we're still having an impact even if it's something that's have a positive impact or part of the impact economy you still need to make more money you still need to grow it and sometimes and it's the paradox It's, it's how do we get out of this and my conclusion is that really you can't really escape it so you have to acknowledge the fact that it's not perfect and that you're trapped into this. Humanity is trapped into it's like the super organism of Nate Hagens. It's like humanity has become that big organism that no one is deciding where it's going, really. And but its own objective is just to keep growing and eat all the resource in the world until there is until it becomes a problem, as we said. Mm-hmm. So then there's the questions what do we do as individuals? But I don't know if you go into that.
1: I'm also from that belief that we're going to hit the wall. And I believe that awareness is key in some of the things that you say. We say we're not... What's happening in Florida right now with the corals doesn't have an impact on me now, so I don't care. I do care, but lots of people won't care because of a a lack of awareness. If you think about behavior, 30 years ago, my parents used to drive their cars without a seatbelt. And it's because we raised awareness so much that, okay, now I got it. And I think this is very important that we keep on doing that. That's what you do with your podcast. What I try to do with mine is what lots of people are doing in this planet. So I have hope in, in a lot of people, in a lot of people right now, but it's true that there are so many in the, all this boring game is just so yep. intricate and so complex and they have such leverage right now. That it's going to be impossible to change. That's my feeling too, but in your book, what I really liked about your book, besides the whole learnings that I got in it is the fact at the end that. Can you explain us a bit about how yeah. you manage to keep on going? How do you manage to to have, to use hope to act, but to let it go and to take care of, of yourself and your, yeah. to avoid eco-anxiety? Hey, just a 10-second break to tell you. I just released a free video presentation to explain the three key strategies I used to get 7,500 makers to follow me on LinkedIn and to reach more than 1 million people this year with my posts. It's free. Just follow the link in the description to download it.
0: You don't really avoid it. It's, and hope is a difficult topic because to be honest, like as when you are, when you spend so much time really looking at things, potential solutions, but also what's going on, it's really difficult not to lose hope. Because I was watching a video again, like this morning of the, I think it was in Dubai of people rushing and pushing them and fighting just to get the new iPhone. And, and it's the same scene repeating all over again. And, and people have no clue. It's, and, and then you see the video from Apple talking about net zero, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> A, amazing video, like super creative. And you say, really, really? You think you're fooling us? It's yeah, going to be net zero. It's cool. There is no plastic, et cetera. I say, cool, super positive. But guys, you are you will still be making millions of computers and phones and in, in, in a few years because this is what you do. Okay? So don't of course you will still having a huge impact on the planet. All right? And uh, and, and, and by the way, this is not recyclable. When once you merge all the metals together, etc., you can only get a little bit of gold back, but the rest is not, you cannot recycle it why so don't talk about that in the commercial <laughs> no but they show the little robot that takes a little bit I know, of the computer make a recycled cool they are and they are one of the best in the class they i think they're really trying to do things the thing is what well, yeah but they are stuck they need to keep growing what they should do in, if they were like really about limiting really seriously limiting the impact just one last phone and you say, this is going to be your phone for the next 15 years. We won't produce more models. This is the model that will be repaired and, and last forever. And we will change your screen and we will change you. You will pay a membership, but we, we won't produce more phones. We will make it so that it can last for years and years. And by the way, the old Macs last much longer than the new Max. And you, you get rid of that. How do you say of the fact that we, yeah, you you update software that are super complicated and so that then your old phone don't work, et cetera. But it's a great strategy for a company who wants to grow to do that. So you do it. But then you are in this world where we keep telling ourselves, oh yeah, it's great. Now oh, they're making a good job. But seriously, no. So everywhere you look, like to go back to your question, we see that we keep accelerating like crazy. Now you've got AI that is again, putting us on steroid on many ways, that there is no sign of slowing down. And again, if you look at the structures, obviously it's logical. It's designed to grow faster and faster. This is what capitalism is about in the end. We built the perfect system to use as much as we can, as fast as we can, and, and create as much money as we can, super fast, genius. You know, that was the whole plan since the beginning. The thing is that we have a problem because we, we, if we keep doing this, I mean, we will be in a situation that's very much dramatic. And, and tomorrow, because this is, by the way, going, even me, I've been watching all these topics for years, and I'm still surprised by how fast things go. You see the anomalies in temperature, in the ocean temperature, in the ice, etc. Even the scientists say uh, it's beyond our predictions. It's beyond yeah, yeah. our it's gonna be predictions. It's going to be 15 years, and not. We thought we had time, but actually, we it's not even. We don't understand what's going on. It's going too fast. It shouldn't be going so fast according to our models. So what's going on? So we're going through tipping points. I talk about this in the book, like the, how system works and how when you, a system becomes unbalanced, it shifts super quickly and it's almost unpredictable. So hope. Interestingly, when I asked the question to Dennis Meadows about, okay, what are you hopeful for? And, and basically his answer, I found it interesting is that I don't care about hope. Hope is about right now, if you are hopeful with that context, you are being delusional. You cannot be hopeful in that context. There is almost no hope for us to be able to change the way the system works globally. And therefore things will be going this way. So then the question is, where do you put hope? At what place? And if you talk about global issues, it's not on your shoulders. There's nothing you can do about climates as an individual. So to me, it's about, okay, what is the right scale? Where it's about stoicism, it's to understand, make the difference between what is not in my hand and what I can do and be wise enough to differentiate the two. Right. So I'm trying not to be too anxious about the world because it it's because it really is not about me. I could take any decision tomorrow, it's not about me. Maybe some people have more power and and they can do something so they have more responsibility, more pressure on their shoulders, but also it's but it's not me. So my hope then is okay, I look at okay, what can I do at my level within my community, within on with my country, with my territory. There are things that there are tons of things that needs to be done at the level of a nation or a region or territory, a group of people. There are tons of things that need to be done now as we still have energy, resources, money to prepare what's coming. We still need to build things in a different way. We need connections that need to grow in new types of infrastructures that need to be built. Many things that um that we can work on to anticipate all the waves that are coming at us. And there are a lot of energy to be spent in trying also to slow down the the, the process, even though it's very difficult to do. But there are things that we shouldn't build. Like in France there is this project right now of building a a, a highway. The project has been in, in there for 30 years or something. It's totally irrelevant. It's the highway of, I don't know, I don't know, 60 kilometers that, that will there is already a road, there is no one on this road, and people will save 10 minutes of their time, and we are about to build a highway there and to destroy forests and ecosystems for nothing. So there is work to be done to avoid that, and to and it's related to the money game, it's related to the power games, it's related to many things. And for entrepreneurs out there, there are, of course, a lot of energy to be spent in, in building things that are truly necessary. But the question to people, when I talk to companies and to boards, et cetera, is, uh, okay, you, and I won't list all the points, but one of the points, is it going to be really useful in 10, 15, 20 years? Is it something that's essential? Or is it about, I don't know, a caricature, but is it about having uh, a makeup that uses 10% less water? Who cares? It's really it won't be our preoccupation to find makeup, I think in 15 or 20 years, it's so what are the things that won't exist or won't be desired in 15 years? And if it's an industry that is just don't go there, I think, and what are the things that we will really need to build? And then how do you build them? How do you build them so that you limit the impact, but also how you did de- you build them so that it lasts long-term? And if it's not meant to last, what's the heritage? How do you undo it? Can it be undone? What do you leave to other people? So there, there are a ton of, of questions that you can ask yourself. And that's, this is where the hope is in terms of doing th- something, taking into account really the context and the reality of things. And it's very difficult because most people that I come across don't want to go down the rabbit hole. They don't want to really look at the seriousness of the situation because it's scary because it's painful because suddenly you will need to consider differently your projects for yourself for your family because maybe you will need to renounce some of the things that you wanted to have and and I know I, I'm not myself I'm really not perfect like, there are plenty of things that I understand and 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 I'm not <clears throat> applying everything that I would that, that I wanted to apply and I'm still I still depend on money and, and I still want money etc so it's super difficult, but I think it's the U shape basically of the, when you have a trauma or it's at first you resist, you don't want to see reality, then you want to fight it. Then you go depressed and then you rebuild something based on the new reality. And we're still at the top. We're still in denial basically. And at some point we all need to, go, we, we will all go down the U. Because at some point, this event will come to us. So my theory, what I apply to myself, is that the earlier, the better. I prefer to go down and and lose the up and see what I do with that situation when I am in a situation of comfort. And then I give me more years to find out, okay, what do I do with it? What, are, what will be my projects? How do I deal with the fact that maybe I don't want to earn so much money as before because every time I earn money, it has an impact on the world. How do you deal with your status? How do you deal with reinventing yourself? And, and it's really not simple, especially when you are in a situation where you are very comfortable because that, need, that means that you need to sacrifice much more than people who have nothing in a way.
1: What are the top three episodes you would advise entrepreneurs listening to this to listen in your podcast?
0: So in English, so you have two episodes with Nate Haggins. and by the way, go and listen to his podcast, which is called the great simplification. He's got amazing guests on all the, these topics and I'm stealing a lot of ideas from him. He's been in the field for 20, 30 years, connecting the economy, finance, cognition, energy, so great thinker. And now he's interviewing all the great thinkers. And I interviewed him twice on this topic, Richard Heinberg that I mentioned power, our quest for power, very interesting framework to, to understand the situation. You have Paul Watson. That was a very interesting conversation with Paul Watson from Sea Shepherd.
1: I had it in this podcast. It was my first podcast actually ever here.
0: And interesting, it's not so much for the analysis, even though it's actually quite interesting though, but how do you have someone dedicating his life to to whales, basically to, to save the living and to inspiring because I'm not an activist myself I'm not able to sacrifice everything to go out there. So I'm always impressed by this type of personality. And, uh, and then you've got other episodes that are not directly related to this, but Kevin Kelly on, on, on technologies is also interesting. And yeah, you don't have so many English, actually, in English, so you can, I think it's 15 episodes in English or 20, so you can listen to all of them, actually. But that's
1: already really good. Can you tell us one thing about yourself that I wouldn't be able to find online?
0: Well, most of the things about myself you cannot find online. I guess you find very few things online about me. I don't know, what's what's, what's of interest? Is it about what I do on the day-to-day or what I eat in the morning or... (laughs) I have two two daughters. You can find this online, actually.
1: Yeah, on your page.
0: <laughs> For, but my, I guess, education is something, how do you raise kids in that context is, is a difficult question. And to be honest, I'm not doing a good job at this, meaning that I'm raising my two daughters so four and seven years old. As if nothing, they're going to normal school, they live in a city, they, like they listen to, they watch Disney and they, but the question of how do you, yeah, what are the skills you want them to develop? What are the strength, Mm -hmm. mental strength? What are the type of relationship you, you, you want to have with them? What do you want to expose to them? It's, it's something that's on my mind all the time. And, and I've been procrastinating about this for years now and it's always, I'm starting to think, okay, what do I do with it, with them? Because it's, uh, there are so many things that you can take into account in what I just said and apply it to how you educate your, your children. It's an interesting topic.
1: Thank you for sharing that with us. It's, I'm in the same, I also have to. Two boys, and I know it's education in general is difficult, but
0: Yeah, doing it differently is yeah. Education is difficult within the current system. Exactly. (laughs) But then then if you want to do it your way, invent something else, it's even harder. Do you
1: have one your book?
0: Le Monde Change and
1: on y comprend rien. Do you have by the way, do you have any plans of releasing it in English anytime
0: soon? No. Uh no, that's the It's a pity. It's if if someone knows an editor who wants to translate it, yes, but I don't really know how to do that. And it's it's so difficult just to sell a book in France because we have so many books coming in France and I think it's probably 0.1% of them get translated. So no, no plan for now. I don't have the connections for that.
1: Do you have any asks, like where can people find you? Where can people listen to SISMIC and, and contact so you if they seismic, want to contact you?
0: Yeah. So S-I-S-M-I-Q-U-E. So SISMIC in English. I have a plan actually. I've, I've had the plan to release a channel j- just in English for years, but again, procrastinating. Um, you can find it on YouTube or SISMIC.fr, but it's all in French. But I guess the, the easiest is on YouTube. And on all the podcast platform, Yeah, sure. Sure. And there is a little British flag next to the episodes in English.
1: Ah, yeah. Discovered that today. Julien, thank you very much for your time today and for sharing all your thoughts and experience on this. Good luck with the world. Good luck with to keep on helping us to understand it better with all your episodes. And I wish you a great day.
0: Thank you, Gilles. And see you soon. Thanks for the opportunity. Bye, everyone.
1: Hey, if today's episode was useful, share it with your entrepreneur's friends so that we can all have a bigger impact on this planet and give it a five star on Apple Podcasts. That will make my day. Thanks so much in advance. Have a nice day.